Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Alana Harkin, a comedian and playwright you probably know best as a correspondent and producer on Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, where she's doing essential work pushing back against the insanity of contemporary American politics and culture. In fact, she's been so busy doing that that we've couldn't schedule the recording for months, and finally we had to do it when she came through Toronto during what turned out to be a three-day rainstorm. So, again, sorry about the background noise. But it's worth it. Alana picked When Harry Met Sally, the 1989 romantic comedy that became an enduring touchstone of that genre, with Billy Crystal's self-destructive crank and Meg Ryan's challenging optimist arguing back and forth for years over whether men and women can be friends without complicating that friendship with sex. Directed by Rob Reiner at his commercial peak, and written by Nora Ephron as a sly riff on a very specific type of New York cinema, it's an immensely satisfying experience filled with charming dialogue, relatable characters, and wonderful, wonderful actors, and it hasn't lost a step in the three decades since its release. Seriously, it's one of the greats, and I'm really glad Alana picked it. This is someone else's movie. I have loved this film for many, many years. I mean, I remember when it came out in the theater, and I... And it hit me in so many different ways. I can't... Like, and actually, I feel like I've seen it every five years since it was released okay. in the 80s, you know? And and every time I see it, it feel, it, it's, still re- it's a film that still resonates. Yes, you know, the pants are questionable. Yeah. The waistlines are quite high. Tweed jackets on everybody. Though a lot of that fashion is back in now. That's true. Actually, that's true. <laughs> so, but it's one of those movies that is so character-based and is relationship-based, and it's just like, you know, the subject matter is is so simple, yet it's so complicated, and I've always loved it. I mean, I'm, I've always been drawn to comedies, mm-hmm. and I'm a huge fan of Nora Ephron, always have been. And I met her a few years ago, yeah, and it just—it was just—it's just one of those films I just can't get enough of. And now that I live in New York, it are just resonates doing, even more for me. You know, are you doing the tour? Are you going to find places? Because almost none of—I just watched it again three months ago, I guess. In the depths mm-hmm. of winter, we had some friends over, and they just wanted to watch something warm. Yes, and that I warms your heart. So much of it is though, like it's now—it's almost a historical document. Almost thirty years later, most of I those know. locations are gone. Well, except for Central Park, sure. and that's the one that, you know, I love, listen, everyone who lives in New York, and who she, and Nora Ephron was a, you know, a New Yorker mm-hmm. at heart, and is in love with Central Park, and you can see in the film how much she loves New York and loves Central Park, so, you know, it's, yeah, it's a romantic film, it's, um, it's exactly what you said that, you know, if I'm having a crappy day, and I just want to, you know, curl up in a blanket. I want to watch When Harry Met Sally. It's therapy. Yeah. It's absolutely therapy. It's restorative that way. It's the the, the sense that... I'm, I'm kind of amazed at the way that it's changed over the years. You know, film is set in stone. The movie is, is always going to be exactly the same. And usually I'll watch a movie years later and, and find something different about it or find something new about it. What surprises me is now when I watch it it is a better Woody Allen movie than most Woody Allen movies and at the time it was sort of knocked for that that it was just a derivative that was Rob Reiner's Woody Allen movie right and somehow it's outlasted so many others and in it's also weird because Billy Crystal's star has dimmed so considerably like there was this tiny window where he was a convincing romantic comedy Mm -hmm. it was basically this Mm -hmm. and maybe City Slickers Mm -hmm. but not really because that mm-hmm. was about him leaving a relationship to, to go on with the guys. There was this tiny little window where he could get away with stuff like this. By the time Forget Paris came along, which is what, like five years after this? A film were, I also really love. But people were already kind of soured on him being a, a romantic lead. Comic was fine, but you, know, like you could see him struggling in a weird way with the Deborah Winger scenes. With the, with right. The bigger... Well, his chemistry with Meg Ryan is just magical. Yeah. And I got to tell you, and maybe this is like, you know, the loyal Canadian to me, like <laughs> he won me over in 1989 and I've loved him ever since. Like I really do. I, you know, whenever he hosted the Oscars, like, yeah. he, you know, you don't get romantic leads like that anymore. And what really struck me about this film is that 
Meg Ryan, it's not that she was sort of, you know, supporting all of his jokes. She's hysterical in it. I know, she's, yeah. she's great. You know, if you look at the credits, it's it's basically fourth credit down is is Joe, who had one line. Like, it is really a two-hander, yeah. you know, with, of course, the amazing support of Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby. Yeah. Like, it, but it's it's like one of the, it's really an actor's dream to, is, to be yeah. in a film like that. To just have, because all the dialogue is character dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing that Efren could do that... I don't know. If, I don't know that anyone else can do it quite, uh, quite the same way. Certainly, no one else is doing it now. The idea that even the monologues that she insisted on, including in everything she wrote—the essays, the complaints, the Larry Davidish stuff that he's doing now—when anyone else tried that, it felt even Tarantino. It felt intrusive and digressive that p- these people are. I mean, it works in Pulp Fiction. It works in Reservoir Dogs, and. That's the context where it works because you can't be shooting people constantly. You need talking in the middle, and so monologues work. But in in Efren's scripts, the monologues serve the characters as well because it's a it's not just the complaint; it's who's doing the complaining and the yeah the the, the sort of it's not aesthetic. The motivational split between speeches between Harry and Sally, the things that they complain about, are specific to them right. as well as specific to the movie. But they're also so personal. Like, I I can tell that this is, you know, Nora Ephron, and this is why, gosh, I, I could really just talk about an hour about how why I love this woman so much. She, like, I've read all of her books. She's She writes from a personal place. You know, if you see Heartburn or... Mm-hmm. It's all, you know, even the scenes in the movie where he's talking about divorce or, you know, she's talking about splitting up. You know that that's from a personal place for her. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not... Those characters are speaking from her heart and I and I hear that throughout the film so especially now you know where I'm at now as as a as an artist and someone who writes and someone who creates stuff I I, I see it from a different point of view now I'm like I I hear her you know I yeah. look for her in it I'm of course engaged in the characters and engaged in their relationship with each other but you could just tell that she was on a journey and Rob Reiner and her just created something really magical together I often wondered about her though like She's a great director, and she wrote this film, and then Rob Reiner directed it, and I wonder, like, I wish I could know how much involvement she had in the direction of the film, and how much conversation they had, and how that felt for him to take something so personal yeah. and direct and it. Everybody had been doing that. I mean, that was mm-hmm. that was the way it was for Efron at the time. I, who directed uh, Heartburn two years earlier? Mike Nichols had, had mm-hmm. taken it and oh, yeah. that, and... Uh, it wouldn't be her first feature was uh, everybody thinks it's Sleepless in Saddle but it's the other one it's the earlier one right. with, uh, with Julie Kavner the name of which I never remember you, well you know what it's Sleepless oh, in man. Seattle is the one that people remember for her directing and you kind of like it's because it was the hit it was the hit but it was also one of those ones where it's kind of like see every, see guys I can write and I can direct yes <laughs> yeah and she did you can trust me and she did do that with the support of you know, both Ryan and Tom Hanks, who was already on his way to being the biggest movie right. star in the world. Of so course. people clearly were willing to work with her as yeah. a director. There was no hesitation. This is my life. That was the first Yes, one. yes, yes, uh, yes, yes. Which kind of has her worst instincts. Mm. Uh, it has the speeches. It has the idiosyncrasy. But she also s- tracks everything with music. And kind of, there's, a, there's all I really remember at this point of This Is My Life is the climax where there's this blaring Carly Simon song that kind of oh yell, it yells over the important reunion dialogue between a mother and a daughter but it's because Working Girl had just come out a couple of years before and if you had a Carly Simon song you used it right so she stopped playing it safe when she made Sleepless in Seattle and let it be this really odd funny comedy about a woman who is deeply unhappy mm-hmm. stalking a man who is deeply mm-hmm. unhappy and goes it goes deeper and darker than When Harry Met Sally but I I still come back to when Harry met Sally because its concept is so perfect. Mm-hmm. The decade-spanning era kind of ignoring. I mean, you just get these little flashes. Like Harry's a consultant and he doesn't like the people he's working with, so we assume it's the Reagan years, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, right. the years are, are it, it specifies when things are happening and it, we still don't care. 
uh, because it's really just about the conversation and how timeless that is. People will always be upset about politics. People will always be angry about restaurants. It, it right. doesn't really matter which decade. Oh, it's a, it's an absolute timeless movie. Yeah. I, I never watched that movie where I have not laughed out loud. Like, my husband laughs at me. He's like, I can't believe you're still laughing out loud <laughs> at Baby Fish Mouth. Haven't you heard that joke a million times? But I'm like, baby, like things, you know, that scene. Baby uh, Fish Mouth is, is, is a perennial. You know, and I... I it's about the frustration, right? Like, it's the frustration of watching people not connect at, at Pictionary. That's why Baby Fish Mouth is funny. But also, that's something that, like, anytime I, I play Pictionary, even charades, I'm, through the years, I would yell out Baby Fish Mouth. Like, <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, that resonated with me so deeply. Um, and then when Bruno Kirby passed away, I was, I was, I was really, I was really upset. I was, you know... It was it was it was a sad it was a sad time because he's he's so fabulous in the movie and Carrie Fisher is 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 wonderful and all that that the chemistry between the two of them juxtaposed against the chemistry between you know Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal yeah. is just it's just one of those beautifully cast films that I really adore like how many times have I taken notes on films before <laughs> I think it's great I love it when people show up prepared I think it's just wonderful yeah I know it's it's. Well, but it does not, but, and it deserves it. It's the kind of movie that I am constantly dismissing because it's a romantic comedy and those Mm -hmm. are formulaic and those. Oh, people do. Oh, goodness. But the reason that the genre is so formulaic is because everyone is emulating the good ones. Right. Because people think it'll be easy. I'll just make it like When Harry Met Sally, which means When Harry Met Sally is actually pretty good and worthy of exploration. It's absolutely worthy. I mean, I'm sure people come in here and they, you know, you interview them and they come in with like just incredible films that, you know, five people have heard of and blah, 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 blah. But I'm like, you know what? I love this movie. I think it actually affected me as a young person in terms of like, you know what? You should be friends with somebody before you get into a relationship. I'm not even kidding you. I feel like all of my relationships starting from high school were I've got to be friends with them for a really, really long time. And I think I'm going to give Nora Ephron credit for that. I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong for, with that. I think, I mean, you can, you can sort of see how the movie feels about casual relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, through through Harry and his kind of alienation and 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 twenties liberal arts student dissatisfaction, which is just so magnificently sketched by the already thirty five year old Billy Crystal, but he sells right. it. He sells that fake world weariness, that affected thing that you do when you don't have an identity and you're trying to figure it out. Oh yeah, I mean, there's things too that now I look back on and I think, oh gosh, that you know, that's no one would say that now, but you know, maybe people think it of when you know when Carrie Fisher and Meg Ryan are in the restaurant um, together. I think they're in Central Park actually, because like I'm like, where are they? They're they're on the water. Um, oh, it's um, it's that boathouse place. It's isn't the it? boathouse in Central Park. See, yeah. Nora Ephron loves Central Park. She does. It's like really, just if you want to go to New York, just watch when Harry met Sally. Um, and she says, you don't want to be that person who, you know, finds out your, I'm paraphrasing, your husband is married to somebody else. Right. And it's really just about, you know, getting the guy. Um, but like, even if, you know, nowadays as feminists, as women, we don't, we don't want to admit to like, oh, I've got to be in a partnership to, you know, people still want to love and people want to find that partner and they have that drive, oh, yeah. you know? So although it's, you know, there's imperfections, of course, throughout, and there's some cliches and there's a, there's one scene that I'm just like, oh, this is a really imperfect scene. I think it was when they're driving from Chicago to New York and they stop at the diner and oh, that's right. she says, you know, I've had great sex before. And all of a sudden, like, the whole restaurant goes silent. There's no more music. And I'm like, oh, that's such a false moment. Yeah. It's sticky. <laughs> it's so sticky. It's, it's sticky in that weird 80s kind of way, right? Where yeah. you'd have a record scratch, ironically, now if you did that. But, you know, even the jukebox. Would yeah. Like. But it does set up the later deli scene in that that Sally will not care if she gets attention which is really interesting like as a character quirk it's sort of layering it works to set that thing up which has i've seen it theatrically three times i think over the years Mm. we tried to screen it at harborfront but we couldn't because of the language uh but i saw it at another outdoor festival i've been programming harborfront for a few years and and we couldn't get it because it's got like basically 14a course language is death because we have to be able to really children walking by and all the f-bombs are from meg ryan's character i think i think crystal has one 
just Does one, he? Like a but first, she's like got most of them, which one. is really kind of funny because yeah. it seems like she wouldn't be the character who drops the F-bombs, yeah. but and she he, is. And he says the, uh, he has that incredibly archaic, oh, I went to bed with her dialogue, which makes me think, oh, you're trying to do Woody Allen in that moment. Because, right. you know, in Woody Allen's universe, even now, 25-year-olds use the phrase make love. Yes. Yeah. you just, you know, you stopped. <laughs> Go to bed to... with her. Yeah. You went to bed with her and then they repeat it to each other. Yeah. Like, Nobody says that. But I think, what I think works about it in the movie is that, that Ryan has just enough self-possession that she's throwing it back at him like she's she's not entertaining the phrase she's making fun of him for saying it and right. then he picks it up without thinking about it unconsciously just saying yeah, i went to bed with her but it works because it shows you who these people are like it's all about revealing character for sure and, and that so the, scene that you were talking about like the callback scene yeah. when, they, when they're at the diner and she has the you know world famous right. fake, fake orgasm reason. that's exactly that is i think I'm guessing here, but I'm pretty close. It's like almost to the minute, halfway through the film. I think you're right. It's like, boom, right in the center. And it's so, um, from a structural point of view, Mm -hmm. at that moment, that's exactly when you need that from Meg Ryan. Because up to that point, you're like, who is this character? Gosh, she's so stuffy. She's so this. She's so that. Like, why are they still hanging out? Like, why is he standing next to a mailbox while she looks at every single piece of mail and then makes sure, you know, it goes, even though I... (laughs) Honestly, I am one of those people that oh, puts yeah. something in the mailbox. I'm like, did it go in? Oh, I do that. Um, you know, it's right, right. Ba- and then the next scene after that orgasm scene is, you know, they're getting there. It's it's the holidays. It's Christmas time, and they're getting a Christmas tree together. And it's you know, and yeah. then it's just like this real shift of kind of like, oh, who is who is this girl? Yeah, it's the. I think it's the scene. It's the pivot from. It's the pivot from caricature to intimacy. Yeah. To like us understanding her as an intimate character. And that lets her have, lets Ryan sell that, just that big ludicrous crying sequence, which is right. great, but also it's a comedy scene. It's mm-hmm. not a drama scene. Like the character's breaking down, but it's breaking down funny for us. And if you listen to what she's saying, it's really kind of horrible. I mean, she's, she's, unloading all that self-loathing and lacerating confessional stuff but it's really funny because i don't think at that point meg ryan could do that without Mm. being funny without being charming and human because she's playing the reality of it plus like 20 percent which is the the the, again it's a hacky comedic conceit but it works here Mm -hmm. because they've constructed a world where well she's already faked an orgasm in public of course she's going to go big when she cries right of course yeah, she reminds me a lot of my seven-year-old. When my okay. seven-year-old cries, and you make one little joke, and then she starts laughing, but she's still like just tears are pouring oh, yeah. down her face. <laughs> Is it that hitching thing, like that that almost incomprehensible dialogue where you're ah, ah, trying to cry through feelings? Exactly, I know. But it's such you know what though. Even though that scene is really big, it's you know, and it it, it it's it's. It's great because then all of a sudden, you know, they, they go to bed together and then he does that thing where he gets up and he leaves in the morning and, you know, you, you're like, was that a mistake? Was that not? And then they're on a new path with their relationship. And I, and I, 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 you know, at every turn, it's just, you know, it really, it's just a really, really smart film. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of, you know, and I have zero patience. Like, honestly, I I get bored really, really quickly if something's not moving fast enough. But with this film, and maybe it's because it happened in the 90s and I have such, or 80s and I have such nostalgia for it, you know, Um, but like even the scene with, um, they're on the phone with each other and she's like, you know, what are you going to do tonight? And, you know, everything, she she won't admit to anything being wrong, you know. And he's like, I think I'm just going to moan. Oh, I'll just moan. And then, and there's a whole, there's like, I don't know how long it is, 35 seconds of him just going, mmm, mmm, mm. Like how, that would immediately get cut <laughs> in 2017, right? Probably, t- yeah. Like a movie exec would say, what do, we can't have 35 seconds yeah. of a character just... Or they'd throw in another, like they'd throw in an insert, or there'd be something to break them, the visual monotony, so the audience doesn't start shifting. You're right. Yeah, would, yeah. But, seconds but she just takes it to, she takes it a little bit far, and like as a comedian, like I, I appreciate that so much. I wish I don't know if those, 
I, I don't know if films take that sort of risk anymore. There was a, there was a little bit of freedom in the 80s, you know, when ladies could be funny. Sure. And then we lost it in the 90s. Now we're back to it again. Yeah, but only a few. <laughs> only a few are allowed to be <gasps> only funny Only a right couple now. people. kind of weird. Yeah. And Meg Ryan, they love Meg Ryan because her eyeballs were, you know, her eyes were so huge. God, she is so adorable in this film. Though. Like, like yeah. listen, I, it's really really difficult to not fall in love with her no she had that window she well window the window is the wrong term because i think her with with crystal there was a window where mm. he could be marketable as a romantic lead ryan was like i'm just thinking of the film she made back to back like i think it's doa and inner space and one other one and then this and they're all just they're 20 degrees removed from a, a central Meg Ryan-ness, but right. they're all great variations on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in DOA, she's sort of the ingenue who gets swept up in this big thing. In inner space, she's the uh, girlfriend dressed like Madonna in Desperately Seeking Susan, also of Dennis <laughs> Quaid, who gets swept up in this big adventure, but she is amazing in that role. Um, the sort of 40s comic damsel thing she's got going on in this oh, gigantic, yeah. complicated movie. And then this is just an adult person right being a comic dynamo as well yeah and that fact that she is all of these things she's the dream girl she's the unapproachable like she plays every romantic comedy stereotype mm-hmm. in one role plus has a through line and sorry plus i hate when i say plus uh and has a through line that and lets in addition, it all happen. And addition, yeah, and yeah. she has, and, and she and she carries the movie equally to billy crystal oh yeah she's you know she's and probably he's... more important than he is yeah, and that's, you know, at that time, like, that's that's saying a lot, you know, mm-hmm. he's so, and, he, you know, he's he's a very well-known comic, that's what he's done for his entire career, and sure. and she she holds her own up against him, and, um, yeah, I, I love, I love her, I love her in this film. Yeah, I mean, Harry is a, he is our point of view character, weirdly, mm-hmm. but he is not the character who does the most changing or growing, it's just that whenever... Sally does it, it's between, with the exception of the final scenes, she changes and grows between um, segments. Mm-hmm. So Harry's kind of a baseline, mm-hmm. and Sally is bigger and smaller and less tolerant and more tolerant, and then she warms to him. But what the movie never states is that, yeah, she's doing all the work for both of those characters, because Harry improves for us because we see her warming to him as a person, not just as a friend. It's It's such a weird tricky performance for her Mm -hmm. she's got to be every version of this character and crystal just kind of has to hold the line so she can uh, he's the what's the term he's he's the litmus he's the stuff that you no wait i'm getting this wrong he's the thing that you dip in the litmus he's the he changes color based on what she's doing absolutely does that make sense yeah i know i see what you're i see what you're trying to say incredibly convoluted it's really complicated i'm like wow you really you really go deep with these movies i have to this is all i can do this, this is, is this is your podcast. life. I mean, well, we should know because this is a podcast. This is I should tell. Right. Does have you talked about there, yeah, this there, place before that we're we're, we're there in a are some we're, photos floating around? Yeah. yeah, we're in a we're in your studio, Norm, Such which has how many movies are here? Oh, in I don't here? know. I've lost track. Thousands, definitely. I mean, Absolutely, I have I've all, never been somewhere with more films. There's, not since the blockbusters closed down. No. Oh, did you? Were you one of those people that went and bought like no? Half I, of them? I had most of this stuff uh, by then. Uh, I've been working in home video journalism since 88. So this is basically what happens. It just keeps coming. And now I just buy stuff. Well, here's the thing. And this is what I do. Like, movies are so emotional. Um, and when, you know, when you contact me, you said, you know, if there's, hey, if, you know, is there any film that you want to talk about? Oh, it took you like a minute. It took me like a minute. But remember I said it's either anti-mame. That's right. It's either When Harry Met Sally or Star Wars. Because those are the three movies that, like I have an emotional response to, right. you know, that kind of like I I'll even I'll even tear up still when I watch this movie, and I don't know necessarily if it's because of the narrative of the of the film, if it's because of the acting, or because it reminds me of something at some point in my life where I learned something, like yeah. where I either learned, you know, okay, this is a woman who wrote this film, you know, wow, and I I I distinctly remember that affecting me. Um, Meg Ryan as like a lead character in this who just like carried the comedy and was so fantastic 
about like relationships and about friendships and about, you know, and I just, it's always stuck with me. And I feel like this movie has always kind of chased me a little bit. Like, um, I, I had mentioned to you that, uh, this is where I'm going to start name dropping everybody. <laughs> um, I've met a couple connections to this film now where, uh, I met Nora Ephron who were, I almost, I was like, my whole thing was, I'm like, just don't cry. Just, just <laughs> feel like, let's get a picture together and just, you know, hang tight. Um, it was at the premiere of Love Loss and What I Wore in New York. She she wrote a film with her, or sorry, she direct, uh, wrote a play with, with her sister and it was a stage reading that I went to see and I went to the, the opening night party, which was bananas yeah. to, to go to the, and so I, I met her and I have a picture with her that Daryl Roth took. Daryl Roth is in, is in incredible uh female even though, uh theater producer who uh I, I i and i remember having this moment one thing i'm really good at is being present in the moment that something is happening do you know what i mean like yeah. i'm like right now daryl roth is taking a picture with me and nora efron i am dying and she was so she said t- to me and i i my friend um rosa was with me and she said oh you know if you guys come back to new york like she gave us her home phone number and she i'm like i knew you'd be the kind of person who would give me (laughs) i think it's crazy you just said because we just met but of course you just gave it and you know what and she she is the kind of person that you could just call up and and i i'm like thank the lord you turned out to be this person because i just idolize you and recently, I met Carl Reiner. Oh, yes. God. Yes, I remember you mentioning that you had at some point, and me just thinking, oh. Carl Reiner, I, would, yeah. I have adored... The 2,000-year-old man box set is... Oh, I'm sure it's a box set. Of course it is. Oh, my gosh. Did you have your VHS tapes in here, too? Oh, yeah. You have everything in here. Oh, yeah. um, but, of course, he's some he's, he's somebody else, you know. Now? He's 94. Okay. And his wife, Estelle, is the woman in, is Rob Reiner's mom, mm-hmm. who's in the scene. In, the, the, in, the, in Katz's Deli. Yeah, I'll have what she's having. And uh, so I I had to, I was directing him for a piece we were doing for uh, Not the White House Correspondence Dinner for Full Frontal. And, you know, he was basically, I was there to get jokes from him. Like he was, I was shooting, you know, which was George Shapiro is sitting next to me. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> um but because I'm like, I'm sitting in front of Carl Reiner, I'm just going to talk to him. I'm just going to, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask him some questions that like, we're not going to use using on the show, but I, where am I going to ever have the opportunity? Yeah. So I said to him, okay, what is, can you give us any advice for at Full Frontal, like advice for comics? Um, and I did say to him, what's the secret? What's the secret? You're 94. You're so prolific. You're still writing. Look at you. You're, you know, he, he was, he was, I, I can only hope that I will be like him at 94 and he said you know the secret to life is you've got to find that one person that one person that you love so deeply he was married for 65 years to Estelle Reiner Mm -hmm. and he went on to talk about her as you know she was a jazz singer and it there was honestly I was looking over at my crew every no there was not a dry eye in the place and you know and because, okay, their son, Rob Reiner, directed When Harry Met Sally, of course, like, I'm like, this is all full circle. Because right. you were raised by the most two amazing people in the world who were so in love with each other. 65 years of marriage. And of course you made this film. You have the best example um, of... And so, you know, maybe I'm, I may, I'm creating my own narrative around this film. But uh, but I love, I love that I keep on, you know... You know, and then Carrie Fisher passed away this year, yeah. which was a shock and oh, and just awful. Yeah, I mean, we I think we watched when Harry met Sally maybe a month after she died. Mm. And I, in the back of my mind, I was like, "Is this going to be okay? Are people going to be able to handle it?" And you forget. You just they're so alive. It sounds like a cliche because, of course, she's alive in the movie. She was alive when she made it. But there is so much. It's like listening to to. David Bowie's music, it mm. won't let you mourn. There's just so much going on that mm-hmm. you can't be sad because it's right there. Mm-hmm. Like the energy is here and the life is there. And she and Kirby, they're both gone now. And it's still it still doesn't matter. And you can watch the film and not be sad because they were so good. This is why we love them in the first place. And there's a great moment with the two of them after uh Harry's trying to set up 
Sally with right, Bruno yeah. Kirby's character. And then they realize that, you know, the other two like each other and they leave the restaurant and they say, um, hey, you know, I don't know if you're interested in him. Like, you know, and she's like, don't, don't you know, don't hurt Harry's feelings. Like, this is all, yeah, you know. Yeah. And then they immediately and they immediately jump yeah. in the cab. Like that to me is just it's one of those. It's a laugh out loud moment. It's timed so perfectly. It's directed beautifully. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's those little small moments through this film that uh, I love. I love. They yeah. really touch me. Well, how can you not? I mm-hmm. mean, it is... It's the kind of movie that invites you to mm-hmm. embrace it. Like, to, to watch it closely and, and just settle in with the characters. It's, it's a hangout movie before they had them. Right. Uh, because now it's comfort food. You can just pull it out and hang out with these people that you already know. And watch them find each other again and fall in love again and figure out who they are and all that stuff. Who's making stuff like this now? I think... Is everyone... Is it too, like... Is, too, is it too cl- cliche to make these films now? Like, who, I, th- I think it's our television. Is romantic comedy getting a bad name? Because uh, I love it. It's, <laughs> I mean, as a genre... And this is something that fascinates me. It's a genre that has been beaten to death. To right. the point where... Doesn't mean everyone's done it well, though. Oh, God, no, no. It's been strip-mined. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody has taken the parts that kind of work mm-hmm. in their minds and put it into their own like you just you slap things on it you reconfigure it i mean you look at what richard curtis did just mm-hmm. by himself um starting with four weddings and a funeral which actually is the best use i think of the when harry met sally structure where you're getting vignettes that actually add up to something bigger actually that is another film that i need to come back and talk about because it's oh good. my gosh even though it does have the worst piece of acting ever in it is right it near the end i hadn't noticed that one Yes, yeah. it's the word. I'm just like, oh, how did that even happen? Yeah. How did, why did not, why, why? <laughs> I think it's supposed to be. Is it raining? I didn't even notice. I know. Andy McDowell is such a, an no. interesting performer because when she's alive, she's fully alive. Mm-hmm. When she sexualized in videotape, mm-hmm. Groundhog Day, even Magic Mike uh, 2, when she shows up in that, she's great for five minutes, and you just get the sense that there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And then other times, it's really clear that she hasn't been directed, and she just doesn't, she's kind of reaching. Right. And there are, like, half of Four Weddings and a Funeral feel like Mike Newell just didn't have enough time with her, and she's kind of ill at ease at being the American in this big British cast, and maybe whatever happened just needed to happen a little bit longer. And Four Weddings and a Funeral is one another one of those films where you're just like, oh, God, I just need, like, I just need a blanket. I need <laughs> Four Weddings and a Funeral, and I just need to... It, it is. It's, again, it's movie therapy. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, those are... Maybe I just need to go... Maybe I just need to go to therapy. <laughs> I've saved myself a lot of money by just having films I like to watch I'm say, I think over and over again. This. I think you're doing it now. Like, my therapy is Jaws and, and uh, Die Hard, probably. And, yeah. And uh, maybe Lawrence of... Well, Lawrence of Arabia, if I have time uh, those are the those are the things that I find myself returning to most often just because they make me happy and part of that is mm-hmm. because they re- they reconnect me with the person I was when I first saw them right uh, and you know everything falls away when you're really immersed in a movie mm-hmm. you, you can just forget about whatever else is going on uh, on the other hand they're just great cinema and the good stuff lasts for a reason movies endure because we come back to them not because they're on a shelf somewhere untouched for you know 30 or 40 or 60 years they you want to watch them you want to re-engage with them again and there's a million different reasons why that's better than sitting and talking about your problems for an hour to somebody who has a notepad i think yeah well then again i love chit-chatting i just don't like paying somebody a hundred dollars an hour <laughs> sorry and my impulse is to go all around right now a hundred where are you getting a hundred therapy in New York? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's no, it's true. It's better to talk stuff out with people who are talking back. I find, I just, I, I the concept of therapy where someone says, "Uh huh, what does that make you feel?" I can do that myself. Right. You know, what do I need? Hey, no, no, I'm not knocking therapy though. I like, am. What all you uh, people out there, it's it's we all need therapy now that some yeah. c- a certain someone is uh, president of yeah. the United States. I've been trying to figure out how to get. <sighs> I've been trying to figure out how to get the phrase "president company" accepted into conversation where you can just sort of cut through that as a shorthand and just whatever we know everything sucks right let's, let's just have dinner yeah but you know what this is a time that like although like my work right now on full frontal is just so intense sure. that you know i do look for these moments of uh you know when i watch something like when harry met sally or or grace and frankie or frank and grace and i'm, I'm yeah the, grace and frankie yeah with with lily tomlin and jane fonda like 
It's so simple. It's that it's like really, you know, I know it's the buddy film, but it's the or the buddy television show, but it's like it's a romantic comedy between mm-hmm. two women. And, you know, that's the thing with bridesmaids too. And I always gravitate towards those sorts of films, you know? Yeah. Like there's So is it about escapism or is it about empowering escapism? Where the type of escapism for you is also something you need. Uh, like the subject matter or the execution is something that you are also responding to. It's just something I, I I like to I I like to identify like I have my you know I have amazing girlfriends and my relationships are really really deep with all of my friends that I have mm. and I like watching films that have those really true moments in it you know yeah. um but like when I when I saw Star Wars for the first time I was really emotionally overwhelmed by Star Wars and and that is I that is a film that I could you know I can watch over and over and over again. I can, mm. I can only watch four, five, and six, but yeah, well, you know, I can't watch it. But um, but I do every time I watch it. I'm just like, you know, my husband's always laughing at me. He's like, "You're the only person I know who cries watching these films." I'm like, "I love Obi Wan." <laughs> um, yeah, to be it's involved. just they're yeah, mates, they're yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, and. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, 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 there's just a way, you know, these sort of relationships and these sort of, you know, that you can identify in your own life, and it, yeah, and I guess it is an escape. Yeah, I'm all good with that, especially yeah. now. Well, I'm, I'm kind of amazed at how everybody is so excited about a Handmaid's Tale television show right at a point where we're kind of already soaking in it. I don't know that. Well, you know what's crazy about that is that I just can't. There's a, I, I, I'm not sure who, who, what, what you know what newspaper wherever this is from but they're they're they're, they're using the phrase um ir- like it's timely it's, right like that's not something to be proud of <laughs> yeah. this is terrifying that this is timely you know yeah. um we should all be quite fearful that this is that we're calling this god there could, there's no there's no better time for the handmaid's tale than now yeah. because we might be living it yeah i mean you could say that in a cautionary way or you could say that on the republican side like there's no better time for the handmaid's tale yeah it's it's um ladies I mean, look great in bonnets what's your problem <laughs> get a bonnet you look great in red i found the book red more uh, i found the book when we were unpacking and it's just like oh yeah this is 30 years old and it's yeah. like still pretty fresh uh, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't watched the new show yet because I'm just. I haven't either. I'm clenched. I don't. I don't. I haven't. It. You know what? Isn't that funny? I have not either because I. I can't. I'm just. You know, my. I feel like my all my my work hours are yeah. just entrenched in this. Yeah. I'm like I'm gonna go home at night and just be more fearful of the future. Um, but I do. I do really want to see it. Yeah. I love Margaret Atwood and. You know, fellow Canadian, I gotta support. Sure, sure. Um, Sean here in Toronto. There's so many Toronto actors though that are in The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, like it's, I, I want to tune into it because honestly, I know, uh, like through you know, people are constantly posting, "Hey, I'm in, I'm in this yeah. episode coming up," and I want to, I want to see it just so I want to see all my like fellow Toronto actors. Yeah, Christian Brune has uh, a voice role. Apparently, he plays a doctor who you don't see. Oh, in the third episode, I think he just tweeted about it. I'm like, oh, I didn't know he was in that. Cool, I will watch that. Yeah, he's he's great. Yeah, and I mean, I like Elizabeth Moss, and and I, I mm-hmm. uh, the whole package is maybe Joseph Fiennes, but the the whole package is interesting to me, and I would like to watch it, but I just, uh, you know, yeah, I'm I don't. We just saw the healthcare bill pass yesterday. We we know where we're going. We're not I passed, know. but it passed the house. It makes you want to wrap yourself in a blanket and watch four weddings and a funeral. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or when Harry met Sally, which even though it's set during the Reagan years, America was sane then. Like, yeah, and it's a film made in the shadow of the Cold War mm-hmm. with none of that. I guess it's on the out, it's on the outswing. It's it's sort of the worst was already over. The glassness had started when they made the movie, but. This is what I meant earlier about how it takes no political temperature. There's really no sense of it. And Not that at all. also serves the feeling of a relationship where the world kind of falls away because you're just in this thing. You're in this little bubble. I am distracted by everyone's apartment, though. I'm like, oh, that scene where you roll the carpet out. Yeah, I'm like, first of all, that is the biggest New York apartment. I mean, if you could get that kind of apartment in 1989, mm-hmm. I want to, you know, my gosh. I'm just assuming they're all warehouse sets. Yeah, one, the yeah brown... everyone lives like that in New York, yeah. in that gigantic, or Bruno Kirby's... The brownstone. The right? brownstone, yeah. like the most beautiful brownstone that you've ever seen that's just massive. But it's sort of like, you know, the Nancy Myers kitchens, right? right. Like, you've yeah. got to have the beautiful setting, you're not going to have the crappy apartment. Yeah, it's a, it's a 
it's a an escapist fantasy of an escapist fantasy. Right. Or the rent control department and friends, all of it. You know, like if, if you analyze this for five minutes, there's no way that this thing Meg Ryan does have a realistic New York apartment though. Is that the one with the beams? Does she have columns or exposed just somebody t- I just I just when I last time I saw it, I just recognized like, yep, that's a tiny New York kitchen that a family of <laughs> six would be using. <laughs> yeah. We had a place uh, we had a when Kate was there for, for her contract in 2007, we had a place on uh, West 73rd, a little oh. tiny brownstone walk-up thing. Uh, just one apartment. Like 73rd and Broadway or near uh, closer Amsterdam. to the park? Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Amsterdam and Columbus. Oh, yeah. That's a great area. It was wonderful. The Upper if, West Side is fabulous. Yeah. If and when, that's where we would go. Yeah. Or maybe Tribeca, just because you can get a really high apartment, and then when the city floods, you can still be okay. I yeah, just... well, if you want to live in Tribeca, you're going to have to get a job in finance, yeah. so good luck with that. I know. I would be... <laughs> you're I... going to have to sell all of your films to move to Tribeca. I know. I just assume that the only way to do it now is to be like the live-in cinema consultant for somebody who can mm. afford that. And wow. then, you know... Oh, I love I'll... your dreams. I will, be in, I will be in the room awaiting sir's decisions. Wow. And then just go off and live my life. Uh yeah. No, it's... Oh, I love New York. It's the it's the great missed opportunity of our lives. We should have stayed. And had we stayed, Kate's job would have ended about a year later when her office is downsized, and I would have starved because film critics' jobs all went away six months later. But, yeah. It's so, like, it's not the missed opportunity. It sounds like you dodged a bullet. We dodged a bullet, yeah. <laughs> which is weird. But... I, yeah, you know, it's one of those things where we would give all of this away. It's, it's amazing. You know what? And this is, you know, and I do, I love watching movies and shows that, that feature New York as the, like, you know, the fifth character, basically, because yeah. it is a magical city. It really, really is. It's, you, when you walk through Central Park, you know, it's, it, there's, there's something in the air. There really is. Mm-hmm. There's something pretty incredible about New York. Like, you know, everyone keeps on saying to me, Alana, you just moved to, the u.s like what a time to move to the u.s like are you gonna come when are you coming back um there's people who live in new york are so passionate and i never i've never understood when people have said that new yorkers aren't nice or they're they ignore you i find the complete opposite you get yeah. on a new york subway a woman walks on who's pregnant the 10 people will get up to let that woman sit down yeah new yorkers are incredible people they're lovely um i've i've only i've really yeah you know, I, I feel like I've watched even more films that feature New York as a character since I moved there. Yeah, I love it. I definitely noticed that after I was there for a bit. You just come back and think, oh, that's my New York. That part of the, the Noah Baumbach's movies, mm. uh, not Woody Allen's movies. They're, yeah. Those are films about people who live in apartments mm-hmm. and Baumbach's movies. And Harry, when Harry Met Sally and a bunch of other films made around that time they're taking advantage of going outside that's the new york you want to see you want to see that it's not a hermetic society and yeah new yorkers they're impatient but they're not mean it's just you have to make sure you're not in anybody's way they're passionate yeah that's they're passionate as an as a descendant of irish people i appreciate that (laughs) okay my yeah my greatest moment was uh as as a non-New Yorker, as an almost New Yorker, my greatest moment was having someone ask me uh, at the foot of Central Park how to get to Central Park. Oh. Because the fir- you go through the whole thing. You go through the responses. Are you kidding me? It's then, right there. Yeah, and you want to go, what? Are you looking to turn your head? You'll see it. Because everybody else is talking like that. And you're just, oh, no, the entrance is right over there. Do you see where all the trees are? That's, that's where it is. Yes. You and then not- you won't see trees for a while if you start walking south. Yeah. You may not have... A dearth of, of green where you come from. But here, all the green is in this one location. Enjoy, please. I would love to figure out, you know, gosh, it's so funny now that we're talking about this. I'm like, God, there's so much, so much I don't know about When Harry Met Sally. Like, the way that she shot it. I mean, the the scenes of, you know, New York in the winter and mm-hmm. um, the scene where they're walking through the park, which is which is the cover yeah. of, you know. Fall and- it's the most beautiful, perfect fall day in New York, and you could just imagine Rob Reiner just getting so excited that this is, you know, and of course the the DP getting so excited that this is what the backdrop is going to look like for the shot. Yeah, well, I think if you're making a movie that spans years, you have to account for everything, right? You have to build in the shooting schedule for mm-hmm. that breadth of time. Although maybe if you're clever, you can do it in six weeks. Like I, I just don't know, right? Because Ryan was working so much, she couldn't have been available for a long shoot. They must have just done it in, like, from October to January, maybe, in fake summer. 
I guess. Because you could fake it. You could get of course. Most of it, right? Oh, well, this is what we do. We, we, we fake it. Yeah. Know? Film and television industry, sadly. But, yeah, nothing is real. Well, and when you were saying, like, uh, all, the, all the, the ideas that New York gets a bad rap, I was thinking, well, that's probably because most people experienced the media version of New York, which was made in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't even, you know, even Friends was shot in L.A. You wouldn't even understand what the real city is like unless you're there all the time and then you've got shows that do shoot in new york like law and order which just tell you that everything is murder all the time anyway right and and murder and sassy people well yeah and sex in the city you know there's always there's always a sex in the city tour happening in new york yes um and that's 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 a show that we're you know absolutely there's a love affair with new york Mm -hmm. and it builds on some of the stuff it definitely builds on the location hunger that when Harry Met Sally uses mm-hmm. uh, in in a different way, but in a in a similar way as I don't know how to explain it. What happens in When Harry Met Sally, where they're fetishizing restaurants, like mm-hmm. specific locations and specific things, where you're using the city's highlights to tell your story, also happened. Like that was the purpose of Sex in the City. The city is a character because we visit these four businesses every year, right? And it felt. You know, towards the end, and, and I guess that's the advantage of when Harry Met Sally being ninety odd minutes long and Sex and the City running for a decade, mm-hmm. you get tired of you. You fall into formula and you start relying on things. And this is the cupcake store that we're going to boost this year, right? When Harry Met Sally is not really concerned with people go to Katz's Deli. That was a happy accident that people still talk about. Oh yeah, I don't think there was. Did they even say Katz's Deli? No. Like, can you tell it's Katz's Deli? You can tell. Yeah, I mean, the stuff on the wall is a giveaway. Oh okay. But yeah, it doesn't make a point of it. It's a deli where they are. Yeah. And then it becomes a landmark because people love the movie, not because the movie is trying really hard for product placement. Is Katz's? Uh, this is a stupid question. Ask is is it still open? Oh yeah. It's yeah, it's still store. open. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm like I should go there. Well, people go there. I think at they one. They go there I, for it. Yeah. Yeah, and they I. I I read this somewhere that, that people go in and they do the whole orgasm scene and people who work there are like, shut up. Yeah, I've, I've been there on two separate occasions in 15 years time where people have asked which table it was. I've actually seen tourists do it. Really? Yeah. Oh, and see, they, I never do that. I, I've never, this is why I ask, you know, is it still there? Because I, I'm not really interested in, you know, going to see where, you know, where's Carrie's apartment. And, you know, yeah. I, I've never, I'm, I'm totally okay to just sort of disappear into the narrative and know that this is New York. And, but I don't, I don't want to ever kind of, you know, see the place and see someone else walk out the front door. Like, yeah, I, I'm not really, I don't want to burst the bubble. Yeah, no, it's, it's also, lo- it's also specific in time, right? Like mm-hmm. it's fixed. You could never go there and be that and mm-hmm. do that because it's already happened. Um, that said that there's a, there's a line in the last five years about a couple getting a little apartment on West 73rd, which is exactly where Kate's place was. And I'm yeah. just like, oh, and then I talked to Richard Legrevenis about it and said, and was dumb enough to say, and you know, I had, a, I had an appeal. feels like you need to move back to New York. I, yeah, it does. Doesn't it? That's every day of my life. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh my We gosh. have black and white cookies in the goddamn freezer. You do? Yes, we do. I we are feel like I should have brought you something from New York. Uh, we're going back soon. I should have at least brought you a full frontal t-shirt. Gosh, that's terrible of me. We would rather... You know what? The money all goes to good stuff. We'll buy them when we get there. It does make me laugh that we're talking about New York in Toronto when I live there now. Yeah. And we're here. This is the boomerang effect. (laughs) Anything else you want to talk about? Well, I was going to ask you the same. Is there something we haven't covered? Is there a point Um, you want to make? Let me see if there's anything that I... uh... Well, the other thing... I, I think, you know, I love the conversations. I've always... Whenever I go to a party... If there's a couple senior citizens somewhere at the party, I always gravitate towards the senior citizens in the room because I, for sure, they always have the best stories. Okay. And that's always um, something my friends always make. It's not something, it just happens. I always, and I have, I have lots of friends who are, you know, in their 70s and I have a really good friend who's, who's 85 that I've just always like, tell me, you know, asking him for advice. Of, of course, you know, he'd have, have so much advice for me. But so in the film, all the couples that are being interviewed. Oh, the interstitial stuff. Yeah. yeah um, Which is I, a device we didn't talk about and is brilliant. It's a brilliant, it's such a brilliant device. It's so simple. It's, you know, I can only imagine when Nora Ephron was writing the film or if it's something that her and Rob Reiner, maybe that that device wasn't even in the script originally and that that's something they discussed together because, like, what a button to have on the whole film to have yeah. Meg Ryan's character and Billy Crystal 
have that their moment. Um, but I, I learned years later, I, of course, you know, cause I'm, I'm just so invested in, in a film when I'm watching it. I thought that they were real couples, but they, what I, what I found out is that Rob Reiner had interviewed all of these real couples, but I thought they were great. Yeah. Weren't they? so good it's well it's believable because they're not familiar and so you don't recognize tr- them and you buy it and he wrote down exactly their dialogue and that was the exact dialogue and then he used actors in the moment mm-hmm. um but sorry you were saying about senior citizens gravitating to them at parties yeah so so that moment i was just like it's so because per- that's what you want through the film you know you want it's kind of like this is how we got together and you know we've been married for this many years and um, you know, my parents have been married for over 50 years. My husband's parents have been married for over 50 years. Like, um, yeah, I guess, God, I'm really just a lover, not a fighter. Even though I work <laughs> on Full Fronts with Smith. <laughs> Maybe you pick your battles. I have so much love in my heart, yet I work on a show where I'm, you know, fighting a monster. <sighs> yeah. So, no, I love that device to the film. I think it's a really, it's a really smart move. Mm. And it's a really, it's a beautiful little, little thing that's just kind of, dropped in throughout the film and 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 the where the way it's all timed and rhythmically it just works really well yeah and it pays off because even though you've been watching these segments you don't expect to see harry and sally at the end i mean i certainly didn't i remember there were a couple of gasps at my screening when i saw it with with an audience the first time because oh oh like that like it bounced in the room you could feel people responding to it and now, even now, when it comes up, you still forget the payoff because you're not invested in that. You're invested in watching it happen instead of a calm, wistful reflection. Totally. And you know what I would say to people right now? Sort of like, if your heart is just heavy from what's happening in the world, just get a blanket, curl up, and watch When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> and at least for that brief moment in time, it's a really great romantic comedy. And of course, as we talked about, not all of them are your heart will just be healed for like just a certain amount of time. Yeah, it's a good place to hide for 95 minutes. It's a great place to hide for 95 minutes. And then you can get back to the real world and look at your Twitter and find out, you know, the new thing that he's... Oh, gosh. We've oh. Been, yeah, we've been away from our phones for an hour and a quarter and I'm worried now. Just well, that's the thing happens. that Sam and I are always talking about. You're like, you know, if we go into a meeting or, you know, if I turn off my phone and, you know, or if I'm, it's, it's the evening and I'm fully engaging with my children and not on the phone. Um, and I turn back and I'm like, I cannot believe what happens when you put down your phone nowadays. Yeah. It's like the world is having seizures. And this is another thing. When Harry met Sally, there was no cell phones. No, there's nothing. Yeah. They're journalists See? right on this is when you can, you, can, you can engage with each other because yeah. you weren't checking your phone. There we go. Yeah. There we go. It's a good way to live. Still, even now. Better. I can't live that way, can you? Um, I get itchy. I do. I just, I'm, I'm used to it. And I, I like connection but it also yeah we're experiencing the downside of that like we've never experienced it before like right. not only is a television star present largely because of the speed with which a lie can travel you know the, the old say right a lie can get halfway around the world before the truth can put its pants on which is <laughs> magnificently yiddish in that just that perfect yeah. way but you're watching the proliferation of that now i don't have to tell you that's how it works like right. you cannot combat even if you know, people think that Obamacare has already been repealed, even though it's just right now, it's a bill that's been passed in the House. It's probably going to die in the Senate. They've already announced I hope that they're... So. Me too. But they've already announced that they're changing the bill. Like, it won't be the same bill that goes through the Senate, mm-hmm. which means that next year, when the Republicans are running against people who think they've taken away their health care, they can say, oh, no, well, we tried our best, but mm-hmm. we didn't succeed because of those rotten Democrats who... Like, it's all lies. It's all lies. But we're steeped in it, and yeah. there's no escaping it, so... It's exhausting to look at your phone, even though I just like I open Instagram to look at dog pictures because that's all I use Instagram for. That's my escape. I've, I've sectioned off my social media presence. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're we're living in a world where nothing matters, right? Because it won't last for eight hours. There'll be another thing. There'll be another exhausting scandal or an angry tweet or a, a fire festival or something to distract. It's a constant spinning distraction. It's like holding on to a top. That won't stop. That's why you have to fall in love, Norm. I did that. Got to fall in love. Well, you know, you are you are in love. We're okay, and that's the thing. We're good. Yeah. No, I mean, like that's a general. (laughs) The you general out there, everyone's listening. You take that advice from Carl Reiner. You find that one person. Yeah. You know who you can be with for sixty-five years. Who after no matter what happens during the day, I get to go home to like you know, the love of my life. 
nice. So maybe romantic comedy isn't that bad. No, no, no. It's the individual ones it. that are there. There are great ones. That's which. Which. Do, what do you hate? What romantic? Well, okay. How about this? I'll ask you an opposite yeah. question. What is? What would be one of your favorites? Favorite romantic comedies? Yeah. Um, do you have any? Yeah, Annie Hall. Problematic as Woody Allen has become, that mm-hmm. film is just perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like. Uh, I really like When Harry Met Sally. I really like Four Weddings and a Funeral. Big fan of About a Boy, which isn't really a romantic I comedy. It. I loved it. But but is a great piece of what it is. Yeah. Um, there's another one that I always forget. Uh, oh, uh, Enough Said, the right. Nicole Holof Center film. Which is now like instantly became hard to watch because James Gandolfini died before it was released, but is great. It's is really so... if you can come back to it now and watch it clean, it's a lovely little example of the form. Oh my god, Julia Louis Dreyfus is so good in it. She's yeah, she's fabulous. It's a yeah. That was a surprise actually. I think I saw that on a plane. I think everybody did. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. saw that on a plane. I mean, it played at TIFF. It, it ran for about a week everywhere theatrically because it was in indie at the point where no one was going to see them yeah. at all. And yeah, it's got the second life as a movie that people are discovering now and really love. And you, I like seeing characters in that in that light. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I like seeing them do different things and sort of I, I yeah, I feel, I feel like there's this is a good time of life to sort of start writing down ten films you want to watch. Yeah, a especially ther- making a list of your therapy movies. Well, your therapy movie, and it's pouring rain outside. It's like a perfect time to watch a movie. Yeah, I hope people can't hear it. Um, <laughs> Well, the last question on the podcast is also always the same, so we'll get to that, which is, um, and this is kind of, this is one I've been interested in the answer to more than most. What, if anything, of When Harry Met Sally have you referenced or borrowed or stolen, or what has any of it found its way into your creative DNA? A hundred percent. Okay. Oh my gosh. Well, as I told you, I've honestly said the phrase baby fish mouth Mm -hmm. at least 300 times. No doubt. Like, I've, I've... Absolutely. Um, so you've actively appropriated that for your own. Oh, for rate. sure, as a person. No, but I wrote a romantic comedy. I wrote like a, a play called Real Estate, which is very much, um, you know, it's about two characters. Like I, I actually, to be honest, with you have not even thought about that there could be a DNA connection okay. with when Harry met Sally, but it is two people who. It's not something you know. It's it's not really until the end of the the play where they're like, oh should we go on a date? You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. so, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, people say, uh, oh, romance con, you know, it's not going to cure brain cancer. Well, no film is going to cure brain cancer, frankly, but, um, I mean, it'd be great if it could. Yeah. I love, you know, absolutely the sort of slice of life relationships, whether it's with two women, you know, a man, a woman, whatever. Um, I feel like they're really important. I feel like they're, um, I feel like we grow as people. I think absolutely this film, because of Nora Ephron, because of, uh, of the relationship of Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal, because, of, you know, Meg Ryan's, who, her, how strong she is in this role. I feel like all of that had a major effect on me and what I like and what I write. And I don't know if it, it, it really, it, it didn't start me off on becoming a comedian, but like definitely the eighties of all the comic films that I just completely absorbed myself in yeah. really changed who I, who I am for sure. Okay. Yeah. That's great. And do you feel that you have transcended your Sally-ness or incorporated it? Like if that's a character or a personality type that you've sort of imprinted on or related to, if it shaped you, are you where are you now in her arc? Oh well, you know I don't think it's necessarily her, but more the two of them together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I I'm not sure if it, if she if, if the character specifically had an effect more. The, the the person who had the most effect on me, hands down, was Nora Ephron. Like, no doubt. No doubt. Like, she... I do distinctly remember finding out who wrote the movie and finding out it was it was her. And even at the time, it didn't strike me that she was a woman because I wasn't raised to believe that that would be, like, the craziest thing in the world. Okay. It wasn't until later on that I went, hold on one second. Hold on one second. You know, and... And especially now as somebody who writes and creates and, you know, who, who directs, I see what she must have gone through to get this made 
Or maybe she didn't. Maybe it was a time of life where it was, you know, she found a great partnership in, in Rob Reiner and... Um, she was pretty in demand throughout the 80s as a screenwriter. I mean, she wrote Silkwood, which everybody forgets. Oh my gosh, I love this, Silkwood. This great, weird character piece that's also an awful, painful thriller. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, like, it just always reminds... I, at this at this stage in my life, I'm never... I guess I was never somebody who was, like, you know, ashamed to admit what I liked. But some people say, I've told me, oh, I hate when Harry met Sally. I'm like, do you? Really? Do you really? How can you hate when Harry met Sally? You're just saying that because it's a romantic comedy. Um, I think it's a perfect romantic comedy. I think it's like if you're somebody who wants to write a romantic comedy, I think it's a great example of like something that works and chemistry between people that works. And I got to tell you, I would watch it in a heartbeat again. And I think I just saw it like two weeks ago. <laughs> so that says a lot. I'm probably going to revisit it real soon. Yeah. I just saw it in January, but yeah, I could easily. See? Well, it's comforting. And yeah, you're right. It's only been, what, five months, four months, and I could use more comforting. And it's almost, I, you know, I didn't even think about the fact that it's like 30 years ago. Yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. It's, uh, if you stop to think, I mean, I uh, as somebody who came up in the 80s, uh, if you stop to think about everything that's having a 30th anniversary in the next couple of years, you oh, will just, you'll lose your mind. It's like Robocop and, and... Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing was last year, I think? No, this year. Is that 30 years? I don't yeah, know. We just, it's it's all got, that... Wow. Yeah. We're all very old. Gosh. Well, I was two when I saw One Harry with Sally. Okay. So, so and it really affected me deeply. Clearly. <laughs> it got into my DNA. <laughs> My thanks to Alana Harkin, who you can see Wednesdays at 10.30 p.m. on TBS in the U.S. and the Comedy Network in Canada on Full Frontal with Samantha B. And if you don't see her on the show, she's behind the scenes doing stuff. And if you miss the show on the night, you can find it the next day on SamanthaB.com. You can find Alana on Twitter at Alana Harkin, all one word, two L's, one N. Well, two N's, but not together. And you can find When Harry Met Sally on Blu-ray and DVD from MGM Home Entertainment, uh, the special edition comes with a really terrific commentary track by Efren, Reiner, and Crystal. Don't miss that. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. I'll have what you're having. Thanks for listening.